a video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? (laughs) Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir. Go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, and then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information... Go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to get, make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. We're working our way through the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. And today we have come to the all-important verses 26 and 27. And these verses are so important, I believe, that I want to spend some time here. Uh, That doesn't mean this is going to be a particularly long study, but Lord willing, it'll be the first of a three-part study on these two verses. At least that's what I'm hoping the Lord will let me get done here pretty soon. So I'm planning to continue the study next week, which would be October the 9th, and then finish it on October the 16th. This is 2022. And I'm hoping that you will make every effort to see all of these studies, to be a part of it, and to take it as seriously as you know how. Pray for God to give you 
wisdom and insight as we look at these things. In our day, this is incredibly important material for Christians to try to get a handle on. Satan is working very aggressively to create as much confusion about God's word as he can. And he's unfortunately been pretty successful in our culture at this point in time. But especially when it comes to the truth of these verses we're looking at today and the next two studies after this, Satan is trying to really stir the pot. A few years ago, I taught a lesson very similar to what I'm going to be sharing in these three studies when we were members at Severe Heights Baptist Church in Knoxville. And after that study, one of the, I believe, the godliest members of our class, who is a sweet, spirit-filled Filipino lady named Bethel Consumo, came up to me after the lesson and said, why isn't this being taught to our whole church? And she felt like, and I feel like, and I hope you will agree, that Christians all over the country, real Christians, serious Christians, Bible-believing Christians, need to be equipped with this truth that we're going to be talking about in these three studies in this sexually confused culture we're living in. In verse 26, for the second time, we find Paul using these ominous words, these portentous words, God gave them up. God gave them up. The first time he used these words was back in verse 24, so we need to go back and read that for context. Actually, it'll make more sense if we start back in verse 21. So let's begin at Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. We looked at those verses a few weeks ago, and then we looked at verses 23 through 25 last time. Verse 23 says, And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. So God's telling us through Paul that men who reject him are totally without excuse. He's made that very, very clear. They just don't want God in their lives. So they go about trying to construct a personal worldview that leaves God out and allows them to live in the sin of their choice. And God normally just does not supernaturally force people to stop sinning. He made us free moral agents. Humans are free to sin. But God warns us in very stark and clear terms that the consequences of that sin will inevitably come. (laughs) And those consequences will be very, very serious and very deadly if we just refuse to repent. If we continue in that sin, if we keep making excuses, keep trying to rationalize it, keep trying to make ourselves believe a lie. So God's told people, you're totally without excuse. Because he says, I provided all the evidence anyone needs to have if you just want to know whether I'm real or not. If you want to find me, if you want me, you can find me. I've given you lots of evidence. So he calls these people fools. They're fools because they choose to reject God in spite of all the evidence that points us to him. And he's told us 
that because they rejected him, their thinking is messed up. They can't think straight anymore. Their thinking is futile, is the word he used. Their minds are darkened. Their thinking is wasted. They, they think they're wise, but they're really the exact opposite of wise. They are fools. They've chosen to exchange the truth about God for a lie. So that brings us to verse 26. Let's look at the first part of it for a minute first. Verse 26, first part. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. First words of verse 26 are for this reason. So you can see the connection there. Obviously, it's because they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They've chosen to reject the true God. So they continue in their sexual sin. They've chosen for themselves gods that are mere images. Sometimes images made of wood and metal. Sometimes images that are just in their imaginations, of course. Mostly that's what's happening in our day. Why? Because they know if they acknowledge the true God, they'll have to acknowledge they're accountable to the true God. And they wish to be accountable to no one except themselves. They love their sin, even though it is slowly and actually sometimes not so slowly, destroying them, ruining their lives. And in this verse, God tells us that they have what he calls dishonorable passions, dishonorable passions, which he's given them up to. The word translated passions in this verse is only used three times in the New Testament, and all three times is associated with sexual sin of some kind, immorality, impurity, very close synonym to the word we already looked at back in verse 24, which was translated lust. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He also uses the word here, dishonorable. The word dishonorable implies shameful or disgraceful. New American Standard, the Christian Standard Bible translated degrading. That would be a good translation also. So God is talking about people who've chosen to make their sexual desires part of their identity and said God just gave them up to what they wanted. But God tells us the truth about these desires. They are definitely not just a kind of morally neutral part of our innate identity. Not at all. It's not like the color of our eyes or our hair or our skin or our height or our shoe size or something like that. God says, no, these desires are shameful. They're degrading sexually related passions and lusts. And of course, in the following sentences, these two verses we're looking at, God makes it clear he's talking specifically at this point in his word about lesbianism and homosexuality. So let's read the rest of it. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The phrase natural relations here simply means that the way God created men and women physically makes it very clear and very obvious how God intended sex to work, and they've given that up. The final words of verse 27 says they received in themselves the due penalty for their error. That means that even in Paul's day, people were very much aware of the really bad outcomes when they engaged in sex in a way other than the way God intended. That would include all kinds of STDs, of course, HIV, monkeypox, syphilis, gonorrhea, 
right on down the list. I want you to look at this headline. It's from People Magazine, dated September 20th, just a few days ago from where I'm speaking right now. Look at this headline. STDs in the U.S. are out of control after syphilis cases spiked 26% last year. HIV and gonorrhea are also on the rise, prompting health officials to look for new solutions. <laughs> They're looking for new solutions. God has a solution, but of course, they're not the least bit interested in God's solution. There are other bad consequences of homosexual behavior other than STDs. Some of them are so disgusting, I, I just wouldn't talk about it here, but it can be horrifically ugly. Take my word for it. Other bad consequences include what it does to our emotions, to our thinking, to our relationships with other people, to our worldview, the way we look at the world. It affects everything. Now, you're aware, I'm very sure, that we're living in a day when many, many people simply don't like these verses that we're looking at right now. Many people consider them to be barbaric. <laughs> and if we take these verses seriously, and we've got to do that if we're biblical Christians, right? It's part of God's Word. We don't get to pick and choose what parts of God's Word we're going to minimize and maximize, we're going to leave out and so forth. But some people say, no, if you focus on this, you're on the wrong side of history. Have you heard that? Have you been told that? There are many, many, unfortunately, many, many Christian leaders, Southern Baptists included, who are getting soft on these things because of the pressure from the world around them. It makes me very sad. It grieves my heart. It breaks my heart. One of our recent Southern Baptist Convention presidents, a man that I once had enormous admiration for, I used to love to listen to his sermons, thought he was very gifted, J.D. Greer. He's quoted Tim Keller. I also had great respect for Tim Keller. Tim Keller's a Presbyterian, of course. But what these guys are saying now is, you know what? God only sort of whispers about homosexual behavior. And God shouts about other kinds of sin, but he only whispers about homosexual. What are they saying? They're saying, this really, this, this may be, maybe it's sinful, but it's not that big a deal. Not like some other sins. We need to be focusing on some other sins. Let's not make too big of a deal out of this. That's what they're communicating. So if we accept these verses as part of God's word and proclaim their truth loudly and courageously and boldly, why should we do that? Because that's where Satan's attacking right now. It's where he's massively trying to engulf our culture and overwhelm our culture. And churches, are many, many of them are being overwhelmed too. They're afraid to stand firm because they know there's going to be some re reaction to that and they don't want to make many more people than necessary unhappy. And so they begin to back off. They begin to self-censure and and because people will say well you, if you focus on this you're being unbalanced <laughs> or worse they call us bigots they call us haters i've been called all of that have you <laughs> we're going to have to have some backbone if we're going to stand firm on god's word and in god's truth so you understand the situation what we're dealing with there are many people who will embrace these sins today and they just consider it to be part of their identity they don't consider it sinful because it's part of their identity. It's who they are. Same color, same category as their eye color or their skin color or their hair color or their blood type. So we need to understand exactly what God teaches us in his word about all this. And we've got to remember that if we tell people, some people, that God is not pleased with what they're doing, that this is really sin, 
in their minds, they're convinced we've got to we, we've got to understand this in their mind. It's the same as if we said to a white person, you got to repent for being white, for having too little melanin in your skin. Or to an African-American person, you got to repent because you got too much melanin in your skin. And, and we know that's silly. We know that that would that really would be disgusting. But they say, this is just who I am, just like the melanin in my skin. So if we say that the behavior associated with the LGBTQ plus movement is sinful, and we're talking about behavior, to them it's the same as saying it's sinful to be black or it's sinful to be white. And hopefully we realize that's stupid and bigoted, of course. So we find ourselves in a dilemma here because there are going to be some people that we try to talk with and we try to be loving to and tell them lovingly God's truth. But to them, we're going to seem very hateful and unloving no matter what we say, no matter how we say it. The only way we could avoid that is just to agree with them or ignore God's word completely and say, no, your behavior is fine. It's normal. It's good. That's what you choose to do. If we believe what God says in his word, that their behavior is not normal and not good, Sometimes it seems like there's just not a way to escape this label of being hateful and unloving and bigoted. And that's very, very sad because it messes up a lot of communication, which could re- be really beneficial to a lot of people if we could just talk and listen to each other. It seems so sad that as soon as we disagree with some people, we get labeled if, just for disagreeing. Now, we shouldn't be too surprised about that, I know, because Jesus warned us, look, if the world hates you, Know that it's hated me before it hated you. Don't be too surprised. So we shouldn't be too too surprised, but here we are. And I think what we really have to learn to do is to be biblically loving. And I want to underline that word biblically, biblically loving. Not the world's definition of love. That won't work. We We got to agree with God about love. And when we do, we also, guys, we have to learn to be Thick-skinned. We have to ask God to help us not get offended very easily. If we get called names, just not not be too surprised uh, and don't respond in kind. Because another sad fact that complicates all this, and this is really sad, it's really unfortunate, but there are some people who call themselves Christians, Bible-believing Christians. When you listen to them, they really do seem to be full of hate, full of anger, full of venom, maybe bigotry. It seems like it really is a part of their lives. And that makes things a lot more difficult for us who are really seeking to be Christ-like. Because if seculars can find some people like that, and they have a way of finding them and putting them on TV, (laughs) they like to paint us all with that same broad brush. This is the way the Christians are. You see what I'm saying? But even if we realize there's some who will call us bigots no matter what, unless we just agree with them, we've got, to, we've got to love them. Biblically, we've got to love them. Remember what Jesus said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Now, by the way, the way to bless and do good to these people is to tell them the truth. You understand that? Pray for those, he said, who abuse you. Love includes speaking the truth. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head into Christ. We got to speak the truth. And we need to make sure if we get accused of being hateful, make sure they're wrong from God's perspective. Make sure they're accusing us not because we actually are hating them, because we don't hate them, right? We need to make sure they're accusing us in spite of our love for them because we agree with God instead of agreeing with them. And if we have the opportunity to have conversations 
with those who identify as being part of the LGBTQ plus community or sympathetic to the LGBTQ plus community. And in many cases, we're talking about our family members, friends and neighbors. We need to pray really hard that we can have those conversations and that we can know how to show them the love of Christ and compassion and grace and, and yet refusing to compromise what God teaches in his word. We do not soft pedal God's truth. We do not say, as J.D. Greer and Tim Keller and others are saying nowadays, I think it's shocking and inexcusable they're saying this, but we must not say, oh, God only whispers about homosexuality. No, God speaks very clearly about the sin of homosexual behavior, and we've got to understand that. We, we must not back off of it. We must refuse to be cowed, refuse to be intimidated. People, The world is trying their best to intimidate us. It would be harmful to our kids. It would be harmful to our grandkids. It would be harmful to multitudes of confused people across this country. This, this, this entire, if, if, if we quit telling the truth about this, if we shut up, if we self-censure, let me give you an example of what I perceive to be one of the ways that sometimes we Christians are lied about, and we need to try to clarify this truth, I think. There are people who embrace homosexual sin, and they think, and you've probably heard them say on TV interviews, they claim that Christians want to deny them the right to eat in their restaurants or deny them the right to buy things in their hardware stores or their grocery stores or, or attend their church services. And guys, I think, you know, that's, that's a total lie. I mean, <laughs> I think almost any Christian store owner would be happy to sell anything in his or her store to anyone that wants to buy it. I mean, store owners don't go around saying, before I sell you this hammer, you got to talk about your sins to me. I want to know what your sin problems are. I mean, I want to sell you this hammer. No, no, give me a break. You know, that's not happening. You want to buy a cake? Ah, you can't buy a cake until you tell me about your sin. <laughs> so <laughs> that's silly. We, they just, we just sell things. That's not endorsing sin. But here's where the confusion comes in. And, it's, and many times it's very deliberate confusion. They're trying very hard to cloud this issue. But listen, Christians must not ever engage in any behavior that celebrates sin or that honors sin or glorifies sin. So for a Christian school, for example, to be forced to hire a teacher who wouldn't take a firm stand on biblical teaching about the sin of homosexual behavior would be wrong or to force a Christian sign maker or t-shirt maker to make a sign or a t-shirt that celebrates sin, that would be wrong. That would be forcing a Christian to violate his conscience, and it's not right to do that. You know, if you flip that around, most people would probably agree it would be wrong. Let's say you had a homosexual sign maker, and you wanted him to make a sign that condemns homosexuality. He said, I don't want to do that. Most people would agree, we shouldn't make him do that. You don't force people to violate what they believe, even though he's wrong. We know biblically he's wrong. We wouldn't try to force him something to do something like that. You know, so suppose there were a private school that happened to be established on secular humanist principles. <laughs> All the public schools are founded on secular humanist principles. They've already, you know, the, the, the religion of secular humanism has overwhelmed the public schools. But anyway, pretend with me for a minute. So we got a secular humanist school, private school. Most of us probably would agree we don't force them to allow a biblical Christian to teach biblical doctrine at their school. <laughs> I know that's a silly example because they've so infiltrated our, our public schools right now. <laughs> if they just get a little whiff of Christianity in a public school in some places, they go ballistic. <laughs> 
But in the same way, if I can get back to my point, Christian schools and churches should not be forced to accept as members or leaders anyone who disagrees with our biblical teaching on morality or sin or anything else. But listen, I think you'll agree with this. I don't know of any church that doesn't want sinners to attend their church. All sinners are welcome to attend. We want people to come, no matter what their sin problem is, because maybe the Holy Spirit will help them recognize their sin and bring them to repentance. Anybody's welcome to attend. Now, you can't become a member of a church unless you are a repentant sinner, unless you recognize your sin, agree with God about your sin, and trust Jesus. Then you can become a member of a church. But you're welcome to attend even if you don't believe anything we teach. Even if you've been involved in sin, you're welcome to attend, as long as you're not trying to disrupt the services, of course. And we are so often misrepresented about these kind of things. Be prepared for that. Let me try another example that might help us understand a Christian's perspective here. Think about a behavior that almost everybody, I think, agrees is wrong, I think most people, even non-Christians, I know this is not always going to be true today, but most people consider adultery to still be wrong. You know, you need to be faithful to your, your husband or your wife. So we believe adultery is wrong. Should Christian stores refuse to sell items to an adulterer? I don't think any store owned by Christians would ever even ask. No, they're not going to refuse to sell items. I can't imagine they would ask them. But you can sell things to adulterers without endorsing adultery, right? Same thing with restaurants, serving food. You can, you can serve food to an adulterer without endorsing their sin. Same thing with church attendance. You can allow people to come to your church without endorsing their sin. But it would be wrong to ask a store or a restaurant or a church to celebrate adultery or to endorse adultery if they're Christian. Sign makers shouldn't be forced to make a sign that celebrates adultery. A church shouldn't be forced to accept members who advocate or participate in adultery. That's pretty clear, don't you think? But Satan is doing his best to just muddy the water and stir up as much confusion as he can. Anyway, I urge biblical Christians, if we're given the opportunity to do our best to have conversations, conversations with people who disagree with us in a loving, gracious, Christ-like spirit. And listen, guys, sometimes... We may need just to say, listen, I'm really interested in hearing your story. And then just sit back and listen for a while. I mean, maybe even asking some questions to try to clarify things and encourage them to tell us more of their story and keep talking. So we can try to understand exactly where they're coming from. What, what do they, why do they believe? Why do they believe it? Where do they get that idea? Where are they coming from? And we may need to say something like, listen, we may not be able to agree with each other about a lot of things, but I'm interested in hearing your perspective. I want to understand as much as I can, so talk to me. And then sit back and listen. And maybe, especially the first time I talk with somebody about these things, I may need to, not need to share everything I know the Bible teaches all at one time. Maybe, maybe not. Sometimes we just need to listen for a while and then maybe pray for a while and ask God for wisdom about how to respond to this particular person we're talking with. If we're going to have productive conversations with people who are sympathetic to this sexual revolution, it's going to be really hard if we start out with them thinking in advance, you don't care what I have to say. You just want to preach to me. You're just a harsh, unloving, hypocritical, hateful, bigoted old Christian. You don't love me. You hate me. You don't care one bit about me as a person. You don't care what's going on inside me. You just want to try to force me to change. 
And sometimes that's their attitude. And sometimes it's not easy to convince other people we love them because they're hearing and seeing us through a set of filters. They've been told many, many lies about us. They've been told that if we don't agree with them, then we must hate them. And we may need to accept that we may never be able to convince some people, but we do everything in our power to help them see God's truth. While at the same time, this is so huge, we must not compromise our stand on God's word. We must never feel like we cannot share God's truth just because somebody else may not like it. We must not self-censure. we got to speak the truth. We just have to do it in love. Another example, if you had a friend that you knew to be an alcoholic and your friend insisted that taking a shot of whiskey first thing when he gets up every morning is the best treatment for his alcoholism, you would do everything in your power to lovingly convince him how foolish that is. Simply not true. And if he said, you don't love me, if you love me, you'd accept me as I am, by which he would mean accept me and accept my behavior. You would say, I think someday you'll realize that I really do love you. And I wouldn't be a loving friend if I didn't tell you the truth about what you're doing, about the outcome of your decisions. Same approach is true for sexual sins, guys, no matter what the world says. Well, all right. Having said all that, whether we have the opportunity to share these things with others right away or not, as Bible-believing Christians, we really do need to understand what God says about these things in His Word. We need to have a clear understanding. And we need to understand what some of these homosexuals are saying. They may call themselves Christians. You realize, don't you, there are some practicing homosexuals out there who do call themselves evangelical Christians, and we need to understand what they're saying when they claim the Bible really doesn't condemn their kind of homosexual behavior. There are members of the LGBTQ plus community today calling themselves Bible-believing Christians, and they say the church has just gotten it wrong. All through the centuries, the church has gotten it wrong. And they say we need to take a fresh look at the Bible. And we need to understand some of those arguments that they're offering the LGBTQ plus community who claim to be Christians. We need to understand what their arguments are and whether it's really biblical or not. There is one more issue I want to talk about before we look at the specific scriptures, which we will get into next time. But there are some Christians who testify that they do have homosexual temptations, but they know that it's sinful So they don't act on those temptations because they say they know it's sin. They just struggle with the temptation. Now, how are we supposed to respond to that? Well, the truth is we all have to deal with many kinds of temptations, right? Temptation in and of itself is not sin. You know that Jesus was tempted just like we are. Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He never gave in to temptation. Jesus was tempted. He never gave in. We're certainly tempted, and unfortunately, we often give in. So there's nothing wrong with being tempted by any sin. But you may be aware there are some Christians out there who are actually identifying as gay Christians, even though they're being totally celibate. They're saying, no, we're not engaging in homosexual behavior, but they identify as homosexual. 
And I guess that's supposed to emphasize that they're resisting these homosexual temptations. But listen, I think it's a terrible mistake. We don't identify with any other sin, do we? We shouldn't. We don't, some of us may be tempted to tell lies, but we don't go around telling people we're lying Christians. Uh, we don't go around identifying ourselves as thief Christians just because we're tempted to steal things. We don't go around identifying as adulterous Christians because we're tempted to commit adultery. You see what I'm saying? We don't identify with temptation. We don't identify with sin. There's a movement right now you may be familiar with called Revoice, R-E-V-O-I-C-E, Revoice, the Revoice movement. That's the problem with the Revoice movement. They're still identifying with their sin. We shouldn't do that. We identify with Christ. Yes, we have all kinds of sinful backgrounds. Yes, we have all kinds of temptations. We don't identify with that stuff. We identify with Jesus. He's made us into new creatures now. But the really big problem today in the church is that there are others in the sexual revolution they call themselves Bible-believing Christians, and they decided it's okay to actual, actually practice homosexual behavior. They would say, I'm a practicing homosexual, but I'm a conservative Bible-believing Christian. And there are many other Christians who are beginning to soften and agree with their decision. There are people out there who convince themselves that what the church has, has said all through the centuries has been wrong, and we need to be familiar with their arguments. We need to have a clear understanding of what God actually teaches in his word. And guys, we may not feel comfortable about it. I'm, we're talking about things that many Christians feel uncomfortable talking about in the first place. But we need to be teaching Christians, especially our Christian kids, God's clear truth about these things. Because if we don't, if we say, I don't think I want to deal with this critical area. Satan's attacking really viciously in our day, but we think it's embarrassing. Or maybe we have thin skin. Or maybe we're afraid we can't, don't have all the answers. What we're doing is leaving people wide open to satanic attack and confusion and deception. We've got to teach God's truth. Believe me, I think you know this, but the secular world, the secular humanists out there, the non-Christian entertainers, the non-Christian actors and singers and celebrities, the non-Christian educators and college professors, non-Christian politicians and judges, they're doing everything they can to indoctrinate our kids, to propagandize our kids, to overwhelm our kids with this worldview. Very ungodly, very unbiblical. And sadly, they have persuaded some weak so-called Christian leaders to go along with them and just kind of soft pedal God's truth. Just don't talk about this much. And some of them, and they call themselves Christians, they have arguments that they'll be very, very happy to try to use to persuade Christians, especially Christian kids, to come over to their side. And we need to know what those arguments are, and we need to know what God's Word really says about this stuff, okay? So we're going to begin to look at seven of those arguments next time. For now, we'll stop here and pray. Father, you know what's going on in our culture, in our society, all around us, in some cases in our families. Lord, we love these people. We want to love them with the love of Jesus. We want to represent you to them well. We want to be Christ-like in all of our conversations. But Lord, we also want to stand firmly and clearly on your truth in your word. And we don't want to soft pedal something just because some people are going to call us names or tell us we're on the wrong side of history or call us homophobes or racists or, 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 or bigots or anything else they can think of. Lord, it's just amazing how they'll use the, any bad names they can think of to try to shame Christians. And Lord, many Christians, our brothers and sisters, are self-censuring, and we pray you'd help us not to fall into that trap. 
Help us to speak boldly and clearly about these things. Help us to learn the truth from your word and then be able to share it well. So please teach us in these next few weeks as we study these things. Help us to learn this really well and get immersed in your word and understand your truth and just bring you lots of glory by standing firm in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.